We're good? No, we're better than good. We're ace. Everyone, and welcome to the Hoovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. Colin is my name, and here at the Hoovian Review, podcasting is our game. And boy, do we have one for you. Tonight, we're diving straight into Power of the Doctor. Whew, a special episode. And an hour and 30 minutes one, too. I, length. I do kind of agree with the Master on one point in this one, that this this could have been called the Master Dalek Plan. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, the there, Dalek's Master Plan. But then that, that the, was, the, there was another the uh, Cyber Master Doctor Dalek Who plan. that was the Dalek's Master Plan. Ah. There's so many different plans going on here. That's yeah, no, no, no. It was a good title. I just I had to point that Master's out. Master's Master Dalek Plan. There's a lot of potentials. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> That was a really funny scene. Okay, what was the volcano part of the plan? Like, what so did they the, need the volcanoes for? So the Daleks were... the world. Yeah, the Daleks were trying to shift all the tectonic plates on Earth so that it would create the volcanoes. Right. The volcanoes yeah. would spread everywhere. There are a lot of easier strategies, but, you know, we saw the Master, you know, take up seismology all before this, too, so I think that's... Well, so, 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 like, there was, like, this whole intricate plan about forcing the Doctor to regenerate and all this other stuff, and then it was just like, oh, and also the Daleks are trying to destroy the world? No, no, no. The Master is having the Daleks trying and destroy most of the world, so, and taking over the Doctor's body allows him to, in the name of the Doctor, destroy Earth, which is his plan is to destroy the Doctor's name. I see. He was very adamant and, and very intricate in, in how he said, I want your name to be fear and loathing and, and destruction and all this other stuff. And he gave a whole list of different adjectives but it, and things like that. But I just, I, I think... But he definitely also wanted to, like... Be the doctor, like oh yeah, there's no. like a lot of jealousy going on with yeah, it. Yeah, it wasn't a great doctor disguise. I mean, he may as well just you know buy a buy a trench coat or put some celery in his pocket and come on and say, "I'm the doctor," and then just kill kill planet and random people <laughs> well, and destroy the reputation that way. It harkens back to Missy. Missy wanted to be the doctor. She wanted to go around in the TARDIS with companions, and even the, this master is like, "Yeah, come with me. I'm actually fun. I might be different fun, but I'm fun. I want to have that." He want he yearns to have. Have all the people love him because he's supposed to be the master of all. Plus, it doesn't hurt that he pr- then probably would get the Doctor's infinite regenerations. Yes, which is another throwback to the Eighth Doctor TV movie, where the Master again tries to take all the remaining lives of the Doctor uh, by taking over the Doctor's body. Yeah. 
Or Trial of a Time Lord, where the Doctor tries to take over all the Doctor's regenerations to take over the Doctor's body. In the form of a Valiard, <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it seems to be uh, an ongoing theme. But this, this is, it's been done before. I don't think it's been as elaborate as this one. And I think it really kind of was actually kind of an interesting idea that the Master had. Let me become the Doctor. Let me tarnish the Doctor's name. But at the same time, let me actually be the Doctor. Which yeah. is, it does seem like if, if the Doctor, you know, has infinite regenerations, you know, or feasibly just so, so many, that's really the only way to deal with the Doctor, you know, in a, in a threatening manner. So based on what's, you know, been put out there. I'll have to point out, though, the Master actually says in this episode, is he kind of questions that. He questions whether the Doctor actually is the Timeless Child in this episode. I noticed that in... in when, my, when did you say that? He said it um, when the uh, when the Ruth Doctor came out. Fugitive Doctor. Fugitive Doctor. Yeah, that she, was great. Yeah. She. So we have a lot of regenerations unexplained. Yes. Yeah, but but or a so lot he of said what? That aren't true to regenerations. Exactly. Uh, he also may actually no. He may have actually said it just before he. Well, what did he say? into the Doctor. Um, I don't know the exact quotation. Can I you just, give me an essence? Like what he said. Essentially, he was. He he kind of it, he said all your regenerations or so I assume or something like that. Yeah, I think it was just you know some. Yeah, I, some I don't know. Things. I just I I find that I I don't think I mean, that was trying to unwrite the timeless child thing. I mean, just the fact that I don't think yeah, it was. I think that was just saying like maybe it's not infinite. Maybe it's just like five hundred and fifty-seven. <laughs> Well, there, there's always the chance for it not to be infinite. And I'm sure if you destroyed the Doctor's body completely, like disintegrated it, I'm guessing that would probably be very hard for him or her to come back from. Yeah. So, we have multiple companions, but we should address um, the first companion that leaves. Dan? Dan goes out of the TARDIS pretty much right at the beginning of this episode. I was kind of shocked to see him just kind of leave. Now, granted, it takes out one extra companion, but it just seems a little bit kind of, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it definitely seems like, oh, we have too many characters in this episode, we need to get rid of one, which wasn't a bad decision in and of itself. I thought he was going to get pulled into the action a, a lot more, but it was nice to see him with the support group at the end. You know, I thought it was a it was a brilliant moment. Yeah, I thought the support group in general was good. I think so too. I think the support group, uh, well, yeah, definitely. I mean, we got to see so many characters. Ian. Well, I just meant like, like, like within the show, like it was a good idea of Graham's to like bring them all together because it's like. Yeah, we need there, the are, there are a lot of people around here who had pretty traumatizing experience of being left by the doctor and a lot of traumatizing experience while traveling with the doctor. And it sets up nicely the future for Doctor Who spinoffs and or Doctor Who stories is that now you've got Kate recruiting all these people that were Doctor Who uh, companions. So, I mean, it's easy for Joe Grant to come back. I mean, she gets the companionship herself. You know, she gets a ticket to the companion support group. Exactly. I also thought it was crazy that Kate didn't know why the TARDIS was, how the TARDIS was bigger on the inside. Well, <laughs> well I mean, she's I think, never been in it, so. No, I think she did know, but she just, you know, she was, it wasn't like she, was she just came marveling. in as a row, but it, usually it's just like, you know, um, I think it's more just like, how is it? Like, it's, I, it's like, how is it like, possible? Like, how is it possible? And yeah. How does this actually work? Yeah, but the, than... the chief science officer of UNIT didn't know how. 
Well, I mean, if the I mean, doctor honestly, didn't I don't think it's it. ever explained very well, to be honest. I mean, do you know? Can you explain it well? Yeah, it's another it's another dimension yeah. in there. It's like a pocket universe. The doctor explains it. Yeah, but it. that that doesn't really explain it though. Well, I, I mean, I, I think well, it, no, no, it, it's it's because the That's the really extra well, the extra space there isn't actually there. It's elsewhere. And that's why it's able to be bigger because it's not actually occupying yeah, the space that, inside. It's, the doctor describes it as dimensionally transcendental, and it's a it's a technology that was invented by the Time Lords. Um, the fourth doctor gives a visual demonstration to Leela, where he takes a larger box and moves it far away uh, on the other side of the TARDIS. And then he takes a smaller box and brings it closer to where Leela's at. And he's like, which one's larger? And of course, Leela points to the larger box that's further away. But then the doctor's like, well, but which one is, um, which one is actually larger? And, uh, or which one seems larger? And, and Leela's like, oh, well, the, obviously the one nearest, but I obviously know that it's the further one that's the larger one. And the doctor's like, well, if you could take the one that's further away, and put it in the exact same time and place as the one that's closer to you, the larger dimensions would fit inside the smaller dimensions. So it's kind of a interdimensional and perception kind of situation. Yeah, but we can see how that doesn't make sense, right? Well, it might not make sense to you. <laughs> yeah, but like the, I just, I, I feel like that's a, that's a good explanation, especially canonically from Doctor Who. But it seems like a description of like what we're seeing rather than like how is it possible. I mean, because with that, it's like it's not like percep. Is he pretty much saying that perception is what changes it? Not perception per se, but it, it is, the interior is not in the same time and place as the exterior. So the exterior is smaller. But it's like a doorway into a world where everything is larger and in a different, completely different right. time and space. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at, it just seems like still, it's like, it's a magical explanation. Well, yeah, what it's it basically uh, C.S. Lewis. You've got the wardrobe from Chronicles of Narnia right there. Yeah, that's, that's what, just why I think like Katie's like questioning, like, how does this work? Kind yeah. Of thing. No, I, I don't think it's, I think pretty much everyone else is like mystified that this is possible. But I think when she actually says it, and when she's there, it's more like, how is this working, you know? <laughs> which which I, I kind of yeah, like. Yeah, that's good. I like that explanation. We also have two characters from the Doctor's past. Ace and Tegan. Ace and Tegan. And amazingly, they, Sophie Aldred and Janet Fielding That's fit Ace exactly, and Tegan, respectively. Yeah, exactly back into their roles. I mean, they could you couldn't have asked for better characters um, to to basically come back. I oh think, man, when Ace pulled that dad out. <laughs> yeah, she got her, her leather jacket. Ace yeah. is just as badass as she was back in the eighties, and, and Graham certainly thinks so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and Tegan and Tegan is actually more, way more funny than she was, but she's also Tegan without a doubt. Yeah, uh, she's sending a bunch of husbands away. Yeah, I could see that being Tegan. I think that's this is my missed opportunity with this episode too. I, I didn't really throw to know Tegan at all from the classic stories. I'm really glad that 
Um, I've been you showing you put, Ace. put Ace, you know, um, on me before. I we think got I did to, that on Yeah, although, although I, I haven't I, seen I, how I'm Ace perfect. leaves yet, so that was a bit weird. But the one with, you know, Tegan and the doctor, I was just, I was surprised that it didn't come up because she was like, when she left, the TARDIS, she was like, had just dealt with the Daleks and it was super violent and she was like, I can't deal with this anymore. And she was just like, I'm sorry, doctor, I just can't do it. Like, I just can't be with you, bye, and runs. And like, so I could totally see how the doctor could actually interpret that to be like, maybe I shouldn't reach out to her again. <laughs> but there's this beautiful sequencing where the, the 13th doctor actually takes her hand and puts it on both Ace and Tegan and gives them this kind of AI version of the doctor where they can see it in their eyes. And what's beautiful is that the fifth doctor re kind of regenerates right in front of um, Tegan. And... So, and, and basically has this whole sequence where Tegan's like, with all these Cybermen, what do you think I'm thinking? And of course Adric. she says, Adric. And Colin, you'll figure that what that means later. Oh, but, I feel like... But that's, but that's something that's very, very vital. And I think that kind of goes to I against mean, what you just it's said. It's what, a 30-year a spoiler at this point? But it's not necessary for us to talk about it. The general audience out there knows what who Adric was and probably can figure out what's going on with that comment, but it actually does bring the Doctor and Tegan closer together and kind of goes back to her leave, why she left the TARDIS. She left the TARDIS because of death, destruction, and a whole bunch of other things where she had to give up on what was there in the TARDIS at the time. Um, and she had a lot of people that she had to see leave, including Adric. So it was just one of those things where it was like, all the people around me are leaving or going away. I need to go away so I can recuperate myself. And I think that was beautifully executed. It was. But I think what's even, what was even more beautifully executed was between the Seventh Doctor and Ace. Now, Ace leaves the Seventh Doctor in, um, in the novels. She doesn't leave the Doctor on screen. Okay. So, but they did take some of the lore for that where Ace actually left the Doctor and kind of utilized that where she kind of leaves for all the wrong reasons um, and made a very touching scene between Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred. And they pulled that off so beautifully. Um, and I think that would, obviously that's fan service, but... Well, okay, so like I think that it's probably safe to say that a lot of the people listening... Uh, and also two of the people talking don't know what you're talking about. So what exactly was the ending that occurred between them that was in the novel? Between Ace and the Doctor. It, well, it's basically all you need to know is what was discussed on screen. I haven't read the book where they actually leave, so I'm not 100% certain myself. Oh, okay. That it's uh, deep within novel lore, so... <laughs> Um, but it was explained pretty well in this episode between the Doctor and Ace. Um, maybe it, it just needs a couple, a couple of viewings to see it. Um, but I think Ace also explains it when she meets t up with Tegan. She actually talks about how she left and the fact that it was not the easiest departure. As Tegan said that, too. Um, it, I think it would have been a great if they could have incorporated Mel and the Sixth Doctor in some way with that, because that would have been kind of a beautiful thing, just to have like all three of the Doctors with their companions. Um, but yeah, because then we also could have figured out how Mel met the Doctor in the first place. 
we'd also see the crazy coat and and uh, costume of the Sixth Doctor. Again. Yeah, I mean, you, there's always opportunities for more to get into the mix. But hey, let, let, let's that, just like take a take a moment to rattle off like all the characters that we have in here. You know, not only do we have a Dalek and a Cybermen, Cybermasters. Story oh right, that that master. that Dalek that was like helping out the Doctor. Yeah, that was a big moment in and of itself. But then you know we have we do have Graham, we have Dan. I li- I liked when Graham showed up. <laughs> it's like Graham. I, that that's one thing that did puzzle me. I mean, I understand putting Graham into it, but there was really no explanation for why. He well, was the there. explanation was that he was off investigating, doing the things the Doctor taught him to do and enjoying life and. Um, so he stumbled upon this volcano thing. He was paying attention and figured out the Daleks were invading. I actually thought that was great because we saw Sarah Jane do that. Yeah, um, back, just, like, the back like, in like oh, season hey, two. Doc, what are you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> he just like runs into the TARDIS. I mean, go. But Graham going into the heart of a volcano just seems a little bit odd because. I mean, I don't know. That I just, don't know. Wh- where did he Haven't get the... Have you seen all the badass stuff that Graham has done? It's a typical Chidnall thing. It, there's not a lot of explanation for something that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I, I actually uh, approve of the decision to put Graham in that way. It reminds me a lot of when Sarah Jane was at that school and the doctor, you know, was also investigating and it just kind of... I don't know. It seemed fitting for Gra- Graham's character. He likes traveling. He likes adventuring. He also he also so has funny. that kind of pure essence that Sarah Jane Smith has. Yeah. I mean, not to compare him to Sarah Jane, because obviously Sarah Jane's like at the top of the po- totem pole. Do you think that uh, Graham and Ace are going to get together if there's a spinoff? I think <laughs> I think I I think with what they already had between the two of them, yes. I think this is a setup that Russell T. Davies is going to have for a spin-off where companions are together. Now, like how many, I would I really know. I would really enjoy that seeing that relationship develop. <laughs> I mean, if I were to if I were Russell, I'd probably put Joe Grant with with Ace Graham and possibly one other. Even Yaz would be a great addition. I mean, no, I meant like, do you think that Ace and Graham are going to develop a romantic relationship? Oh, a romantic <laughs> relationship. Oh geez, I don't know about that. Well, they were like flirting. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll but just assume they're already an item. Okay, maybe <laughs> we can. Um, I mean, who knows? That would be kind of cute, actually. <laughs> they're meeting up with each other all the time. So yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Any rate. Uh, yeah, but yeah. We, all we these characters. characters. David Tennant. We didn't even mention. Uh, oh right. Finn. Yeah. Yeah, that guy who was in Flux, and I to- totally Vinder, re- remember everything about Vinder. him. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. Finn is from Star Wars Universe. So he was the one, he got sent on punishment duty and he got involved and he was dating that one chick or something. What was his deal? Binder had his, no, he had his, like, fiance or wife or something. Right, she had had a baby. Baby inside. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just, it it was kind of interesting. Binder just kind of pops in, kind of like Graham. It wasn't really, I mean, I don't know if he was actually on a mission for the doctor. Well, the doctor had given him the phone and been like, you know, call me if you need me. And he crashed his spaceship into this planet and stuff. So that part made sense. But yeah, but it was kind of like, how do you crash into a planet? I mean, space is really big. (laughs) And he just happened to go through the time worm that just happened to go straight to the cyber planet. Right, okay, yeah, like what was the deal with that train? Like what was going on with that exactly? The train was traveling through what seemed like a time warp or a time worm or something. Yeah, but what does that mean? What is a time worm? 
But time worm is basically like a portal, kind of like a tunnel. Is it like between like one one side of the universe to the other? Yeah, but more worm like. <laughs> I guess that's a terrible way of putting it. But yes, a worm. It's in the shape of a worm, so that's why you've got. It's a wormy wormhole. It's okay. a wormy wormhole. Yes. Okay. And uh, I mean, starting with the beginning, I mean, we've got. Kind of a obviously the the Cybermen come in pretty early on and they're trying to steal this with their silly Time Lord hats. <laughs> oh God! I cannot stand the the Cybermasters. I don't. I mean, they, it was a good thing they had actual Cybermen in this because then at least we had some redemption. I mean, they're pretty scary force, you know, just regenerative Cybermen. But oh. I feel like it takes but away yeah, a I, lot of the part of like yeah. what makes Cybermen inherently scary is the whole converting other people and and that conversion of with the with the ears that they have on top that that's that's where it gets really messed up because they're really taking the brain um, of an individual and stuffing it into this yeah like, it's it's a different kind of threat yeah, yeah and and I don't it's more like a Dalek threat I I don't really I mean, I don't really care about the Time Lord Cybermen it just doesn't yeah really but this was a more like matter. This was a more like Dalek-like threat role that they were playing. Yeah, you they know, don't so have to have the headdresses that the Time Lords have. You can have the the Cybermen just have cyber helmets. The Master has a little bit of fashion. Sense I liked that. the Time Lord hat things. I thought that was a great nod. Yeah, and, and I mean, I this is really think like so. a I think maybe for really, one of them. This is a Master conception, you know, yeah. uh, of this thing. And that's and totally what the Master. This was. is true. The, the guy, Master would do that. The guy yes. was Rasputin just for the fashion garb that was attached to it. He well, also he got to hypnotize people, and you know that's kind of his shtick. Yeah. I guess the Master had to have a beard in this case. Yeah, but I mean, I think the aesthetics really matter to him. Like he had to, yeah. you know. He does love his disguises. The man in Russia long ago with his song, you know, pumping, and even the Cybermen and the Daleks looking to themselves and each other and going, "What was going on?" Okay. Wait, so like, was that like a song that already exists that's just about Rasputin? Oh yeah, that's like <laughs> probably. That's a definitely a song. Like that that was actually you very well played. Pay, pay some good money for it too, because it's it's been trending here and there. But it's I mean it's obviously very well placed, and the and the fact that uh, you've got this kind of disco like master. Oh yeah, that was a very master thing to do to be like. That was to- and then the Dalek looking at the Cyberman, looking at the Dalek, going, "What the hell?" <laughs> it's like that was just golden. Uh, and it was a pretty great plot to send Tegan that miniaturized Cyberman, like Russian doll Cyberman, had all the Cybermen in it, but inside a Russian doll, like, that was one of the Master's most clever moves, I think. I think this this actually elevates the Master's plans quite nicely. This is one of the few times, other than Missy, where the Master actually does something that actually is a good plan. Yeah. It's just that it's foiled. I also I really like how... collaborators, too. I mean, he, he tries to do that... No, well, he's tried to collaborate, no. yeah. He's tried in the past with just the Daleks and just the Cybermen, and but now, failed both times. But now, everybody's in the TARDIS, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I liked how they they addressed, you know, the doc, the Master's repeated, like, dying, you know, in a way that he could never possibly come back, and then just shows back up, and the Doctor's like, how did you do that? Yes, and the Master just kind of shrugs it off. Yeah. He like, just doesn't. It's like, I, I, yeah, I paid, paid very good Clark, attention. Exactly, to exactly. Uh, that that was great. 
I okay. What is your what is your all feeling about the overall plot of this story? You know, um, I think it I think it's pretty well constructed all in all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly I think that there's a, at least you know there's enough of a, a consistent story arc, and every moment I think grips your attention pretty well um, from one to the other. I think when you do divert from plot. Um, you know, it's pretty much always for something of, of value, whether it's fan service or not. I think that's what Doctor Who should be doing. They should be servicing their fans. Um. Okay. <laughs> I would I would say that the plot is a little simplistic in some cases. I mean, the idea that Tegan pulls a wire and that ends all the Cybermen. That is a typical Doctor Who trope where you push a button and you solve, you save the day. Same she thing happened least, in Journey's She at least could have pulled the wire and plugged it in somewhere else. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but there's so many things in Doctor Who. I don't think that's necessarily like a plot foible. It's just a magic solution, and they happen all the time. Whether it's coincidence or the right person or somebody caring enough through the magic of love in their hearts, these things just happen. But I, I think that there's a there was a good structure of you know meeting together, character development. Um, true conflicts and, you know, steps to go and overtake those conflicts and interesting, you know, ties in between. So I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, the story arc and the plot moved along well. One so thing were, I... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that there were a couple plot points that I didn't quite get. Like, so we've discussed already that they hadn't really set up how, like, Dan and whatever that other guy's name is, Vander, you know, Vinder. Vinder got, you know, in the situations they got in the beginning. Also, we've got, you know, the whole thing with the forced regeneration was like, so the master's body was lying there dead and the master got transferred into the doctor but somehow that got transferred back okay i can deal with that but why did yaz have to be in the other container while the doctor was getting forced degenerated when she didn't seem to have any effect on any of it yaz wasn't in the other container. yeah it was oh no, she wasn't no just the I think she had to get the doctor in there so yeah at one point oh she gotcha like, yeah no she, she never did it. okay cool well that makes more sense then i also I, didn't get um why the doctor uh, made, like forced Yaz off the TARDIS at the end. Like, I mean, I get it from a showrunning sense because I know that they want to do a change over the cast, but it just kind of seemed weird. Like, the Doctor's never been like, get oh, out, I'm, re I'm regenerating, I therefore don't want my companion. The Doctor's always been like, this is when I need you the most. <laughs> yeah, that is a little bit odd, and I think it would have been nice, a nice touch to have Yaz actually see the change. And... And then the and then have the doctor be like, well, do you want to continue or not? And yeah, that's too, Martha. That, I mean, they didn't say goodbye. They didn't say goodbye. No, I think also it is kind of bittersweet because Yaz wants to remember the doctor as she was. She doesn't want to right. remember the doctor, whoever she becomes. And I think that was the sentiment right before the doctor said, you know, what I should maybe I should do this part alone. I think it was like a. Sorrowful reflection. I think it was that thought of like, yeah, as you know, we're not saying goodbye here. And I think, in to some degree, to that was Yaz know, being to, nice to the to doctor. To change over, in a way, you are saying goodbye. But with Yaz not there, yeah, you know, I think it was for Yaz's sake and what Yaz wanted that the doctor was like, okay, I, yeah. this one's on my own. Yeah, no, and I, I kind of understand that part of things. I just, it would have been nice to see Yaz continue. Uh, at least for another story or something like that. For me, at least. I would have enjoyed that. But I will say that the regeneration where 
like the the last few speeches, the ice cream on top of the TARDIS, and then and then Jody literally kind of being very angelic on top of the rocks. I thought that was actually well done for Jody. I think she did get yeah. a decent send off, um, and it was decently yeah. written to and. More importantly, I feel like Jodie actually gave gave her performance here. This was when she became the doctor in my eyes. Yeah, there was good range for her throughout this show. Yeah, Very I thought the range. scene where she was just like, I'm not ready, I haven't lived enough or whatever. Yeah, I think that was the best acting we've seen from her in the show. Well, and that was, and it makes sense because she has had this very childlike, gleeful presence. She's always been very positive, half uh, glass half full kind of mentality about her but and and also very awkward like a child in in many ways and this is where she grows up and is like realizing it's over she cannot continue that's that screws everything up she wanted to grow she wanted to learn she wanted to see the world in her eyes as the doctors pointed out before um a bit longer because this is one of the shorter incarnations of the doctor as far as we can tell. And then she, you know, changes into another doctor who didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it has been officially confirmed that David Tennant will be returning as the 14th doc- incarnation of the doctor. He's not playing the 10th because he's obviously regenerated. Although, I do have to question this. Does that mean that now that she was forced into regenerate into the Master, does the Master count as one of the Doctor's incarnations now? I think so. And then she regenerated back into herself, so does that count as yet another incarnation? I mean, I kind of feel so. like the I numbers mean, honestly, have lost meaning at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, in the Chibnall era, era, numbers have been out the window. Well, not just that. It's also the Stephen Moffat era, because to be fair, he kind of screwed up the numbers, too. Well, it, that was also kind of on Eccleston for not coming back for the anniversary. Oh, I agree. But, I mean, we, we definitely yeah. had, like, 13, do- 13 incarnations of the Doctor, but not numbered to 13. It was numbered to 11. And then we had... It's just... There's well, too much actually, confusion. we have to go back to Russell T. Davies for this with David Tennant. Uh, yeah, but, like, now we have, we have Ruth, you know, who's been a really strong, consistent Doctor character. A lot still unexplained. Ruth was here in this episode, too. Yeah. We didn't even... If we did. Chest, oh, did. Well, we, we had. We mentioned her, but go yeah, on. We did briefly when she came in. It was pretty powerful. It was. Yeah, it was a powerful moment, and it was very well done. But okay. yeah, it's it's just like what we've had. I think more recently, like really throws the whole timeline and just has opened up cracks and potentials for all of these different doctors throughout all different ages or maybe dimensions in reality. Well, well, and that's one good, beautiful thing about this is when the Doctor does kind of visit that plane where she's on the edge of existence, she does get to meet her former selves. And in this case, Chibnall wanted to go concentrate on classic Doctors. Now, Tom Baker was not available. He couldn't come because of all sorts of reasons. But... um, but seeing not only Peter and Sylvester, who got to have their scenes with their companions, but you also get Paul McGann in his full costume from Night of the Doctor. And, of course, uh, I have to put in a good shout-out to, of course, Colin Baker, who starts almost starts off the whole thing. We had uh, the first Doctor, played by David Bradley. Um, and so when you have a list of all the doctors, this really is what, like the, like the seven doctors or something like that. <laughs> we have so many doctors in this episode. Uh, we do. It well, was, that's, that's the power of the doctor. It was really, it was really thrilling seeing all of that come to fruition. And 
And fan service, yes. Was it good fan service? I believe so. I I I, I respectfully agree that that was a good. good yeah, call. it didn't. It, it was never you know coming in to take anything out of bounds, and I think it was, um, you know, it was done in in a nice you know witty and respectful manner. You know, oh yeah, across the board, and a good explanation for why the doctor looks older, because technically the well, doctor is it older. Was an explanation as to why the doctor looks older, but I mean, but I mean, it was get something. Yeah, it, it was it nice to get something. I, I wouldn't go so far as say it was good explanation. I think it was an an adequate explanation, and it would be hard to come up with a better one. Well, yeah, I I agree, and and that's. But you know, if they're going to explain it that way, why does the first doctor look the same age? <laughs> You know, uh, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> Actually, technically, I think he does look older. <laughs> Actually, I think he looks younger. <laughs> younger? David Bradley looks like he's aged quite a bit since he was in uh, the 12th Doctor episode. Oh, I was saying in comparison to William, William Hartnell. Hartnell. I don't know. He's looking, I mean, he's definitely William Hartnell look, I think he's definitely older looking. Uh, he, I mean, everybody's aged, and I think David Bradley's one of the oldest, actually. Of, of the group that was there. I mean, uh, well, it's hard to tell because Colin and Sylvester are both 79, so they're they're up there. But the fact that they're 79 and being the doctor still... Oh, yeah. I think it was great. great. And they had really good performances. They really did. They, I mean, some, <laughs> some might say Colin and Sylvester did better in this story than they did all of their entire tenure. <laughs> um, but uh, I won't be the one to say that. Really? Because I kind of feel like you just did. <laughs> I said some people might. I don't, I don't believe that, but I've heard it. I liked the intro of this, the um, just the opening credits. Was was it really that different? I don't know. I don't remember what the previous ones I were. I think it was a little bit more abridged. Yeah. Maybe, but um, I, I think it, it was a little bit of visually I mean, different. Yeah, did, it had like a lot get, of star. But it was like, the same style. Thing. Yeah, it was I'm the same little. style, but it, like, it was like the camera was more angled and stuff. You definitely had Sophie Aldred and Janet Fielding's name in there, and that was kind of touching to see that they actually got credits for being companions again. Um, I think Kate Stewart's... Uh, Gemma should have been in there too, though. And I mean, most people people knew she was going to be there, so it would have made sense because that would have officially kind of brought her into the mix of okay, you've got your TARDIS run. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, give all the companions a run. <laughs> well, all the active companions. I mean, the ones at the end, I can see why they wouldn't be in the opening credits. That would well, yeah. That was supposed to be a surprise anyway, which was a very good surprise. Um, there were lots of surprises in this. Some and a lot of nods to the past. A lot of one-liners that you're just like, okay, yeah, like Ace saying "wicked" when she's asked to go and defeat the Daleks. Yeah, yeah and we're just having like the master when he's really trying to play his doctor role. All the different, you know, costume choices that he makes, you know, down to the celery and the, oh yeah, that and was the great. Scarf and the sweater, Tennant's <laughs> pants. I think it was Capaldi's pants. Capaldi's pants, that's yeah. right. So. But I do have to say there were a few, you know, clunky things script-wise where, like, there were some parts where people were, like, asking questions where you're like, you already know the answer to that question. <laughs> like, Yaz and Dan, a lot at the beginning, of the doctor was, like, explaining stuff, and they're like, yeah, we know, we've been doing this. 
Well, and <laughs> but that, it made but sense because ju- it's it's an anniversary special, and people will watch it out of sync and to have a little fill in on you know what's going on. I somewhat agree, but you're you're dumbing down the audience, and I think that's not necessary, especially since Jodie Whittaker's doctor has always dumbed down the audience to some degree. And I'm not saying that's Jodie's fault at all. Jodie's actually phenomenal. I think that's that's the script. It's the it's the script. It's the writing, and it's. It's it's an oversight. I think it, like I said, she's kind of mansplaining, even though she's not a man anymore, and that isn't necessary. It kind of it kind of tells the audience members, oh well, because you're stupid enough not to know what's going on, we're going to tell you what's going on. I don't think that's necessary because for the most part, most people can see what's going on. Now, if you want to put in a science explanation. Then just a quick little maybe one sentence explanation is fine, but going through and literally listing everything that's happening word verbatim seems a little overkill. Just my two cents. Uh, that's fair. But you know, this is probably like the, the special that you know Doctor Who fans are gonna drag in. You know, their their parents, their friends, uh, their spouses, you know, and other people to watch with them. So sometimes a little explanation, you know, might help new people too although I wouldn't recommend this for any new viewer yeah yeah no there's too much nods to the past this is very fan service but again this is also the centenary uh, of the BBC which is why they even included the uh, master playing on the second Doctor's recorder the Outlander theme and of course the reason why why would they play the Outlander theme well first of all the Outlander obviously is a British kind of entity but Outlander was written by Diana, um, uh, what's her last name? Glabone. Diana. Di- yeah, Diana Glabone. And she happens to be a huge Doctor Who fan. And her main character named Frasier, or her name, her main character named Jamie Frasier is named after Jamie McCrimmon, who was played by Frasier Hines. So that was a, that was kind of, the Outlander nod to Doctor Who. This is the Doctor Who nod to Outlander. <laughs> I think I thought that was kind of cool. It is. Should we roll into ratings? Sure. All right, let's roll right through. Um, so I, I think we've covered a lot of ground, you know, just in, in talking about this. But and space um, in and time, space, time. You know, the the whole nine yards. Um, lots of different, you know, characters. Nods to many different ages. Um, you know, the, the some of the biggest classic enemies all coming together against the Doctor. Um, this has fantastic elements, and honestly, I, I think it's a story that makes sense a lot more than most. Um, with the amount of sheer, you know, extra things, and as we've referenced fan service in the mix. But I thought, you know, this held my attention very well. Um, I have been watching a lot of classic stories lately, so I don't know if there's there's a different bias that I'm looking towards, but visually it was a stunning episode, too. I, I think they did really well going back in time to, to Russia. I think the BBC always always does that. I think going into uh, you know, a volcano looks great, too. Um, and then different just elements out in space. You know, I, I, So the production value was definitely up on this. Um, but you know, this was the appropriate amount of time for this story to be told. And it's one that I really appreciated. And I think in many ways, um, it helps me say that the Chibnall era has, has some worth to it, um, you know, to round it out this way. Um, for me, this is a, a grand episode. Um, it's going to get a 9 out of 10. Wow. All right. Um, 
one thing I forgot to, to mention earlier in this was I liked the nod at the very beginning with the Rasputin thing going on where he's talking to the, you know, czar and they're just like, oh, it, his wife's just like, oh no, I just feel like, you know, our son's hemophilia's got, or condition's gotten worse with the second moon. And I think that's a throwback to, um, the Queen Victoria episode back in season two, where she gets uh, bit or scratched by a werewolf, and it's like heavily like like the doctors basically like, well, you know, they say the royal you know blood disease that originated from her, the hemophilia, it might have been a euphemism for werewolfism. So having the second moon causing a bigger werewolf display was pretty. Uh, I thought that was a fun nod. Anyways. Um, yeah, I agree with uh, a lot of what Colin said. Like, this episode caught, held my attention. I thought that it was interesting. The plot, you know, made sense. The, you know, there were some good nods to characters. I thought there were parts of it that were a little clunky. Um, it's probably, you know, not one that I'm a little go back to, like, super readily, but I might rewatch this, which is not normally how I feel about the episodes in the latest seasons. Um, I think that um, this one was good and I think I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Also, I, I agree, strongly agree with Colin that I think this was a very well-lengthed episode. Like, I thought that it was timed well and it was the right amount of time for telling this story. Well then. Well, and that comes to me, I guess. Um, I, this This episode I have a little bit of a mixed feeling on. Uh, I mean, I really want to love it because there is so much great fan service, and in a in a sense, I do for that reason. And that's one of the. I mean, I laughed out loud. I jumped for joy. I was just there was so much going on in this episode that made me just have joy in my heart because this was Doctor Who that I grew up with. All the Doctors that I grew up with, practically. Um, and at the same time, it just felt like there was so much thrown in. It was, it just, it, I agree that the pacing's better than other uh, Chibnall episodes, which run um, typically longer, I think, than the, than the episodes from before. But, um, but I don't know. I, I, there is a lot that happens, and the pacing goes very fast, so you do have to stay on your toes. With that said, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something that you do need a couple of viewings to get every single reference, to get every single Easter egg, because there's plenty of those, to get every single um, nuance. I thoroughly enjoyed the, um, the nod to the classic, obviously, and there's just so much fun and joy. I'm going to give this one actually, believe it or not, an 8 out of 10 as well. I believe it. Yeah. All right. Well, good night, everyone. Ciao. What? What? Oh.